This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, episode 164. Let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Blanc. Hey, 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 and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Michael Blanc. Really excited that you're here. Today on the show, I have Bob Helms. Bob Helms is the father of Robert Helms, the real estate guys, and they, they call him affectionately the godfather of real estate. And that's because he's been around for so long and he's done all kinds of stuff, successful agent, broker, and now investor. And he's got a new book out called Be in the Top 1%. And it really uh, introduces especially real estate agents to the world of, of real estate investing, but really the bigger messages and the question it raises, why do people that are regularly exposed to real estate, such as agents or people who, you know, who attend the, the real estate meetings every single month, people who are regularly exposed to real estate, why do they not start to invest themselves? In other words, why are we on the fence? We're watching this stuff going on every single day, every single week and month, and we don't take action. What is that? And that's what we're going to talk about on the show today with uh, Bob Helms. I want to point out to you that we actually have a relatively new Facebook group. It's called the Apartment Investor Network. We kind of quietly launched it a few months ago, and we already have several mem thousand members in there. We have our mentors and our advisors are in there, and uh, they're answering questions. And uh, really, really good group. So go to Facebook and search for Apartment Investor Network. It is a closed group, so you're going to have to request to get in, and we'll take a look at it and let you in as quickly as possible. It is a moderated group to kind of keep it nice and for everybody. So it's a great group of people. Check it out. Also, I have been on social a lot, both Facebook and Instagram. My handle is the Michael Blanc for both. So I'm posting a lot on there. You're not going to see that on a blog on your YouTube, but you are going to see it on Instagram and on Facebook. So check me out there. All right, you guys, let's get right to the interview with Bob Helms. Bob Helms, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited about doing this show with you. Uh, it's going to be so great. We've gotten a chance to get to know each other a little bit in all the real estate guys' events and on the cruise and the syndication event. We got to hang out a little bit. We put out a book around the same time, so we got to commiserate a little bit around authoring and publishing and marketing. And it's really a great uh, pleasure to have the godfather of real estate here on the show. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. I especially enjoyed the opportunity to get to visit with you on the summit. And of course, I got to meet your family. And uh, pretty good evidence about what drives you is uh, getting to know your family. They were they were uh, fun, and I next time I I'm sure we'll get closer. Yeah, it was a it was a great fun, and the kids had a great fun. My daughter came back uh, reading the four hour work week after that, and she hadn't expressed too much interest in these kind of books, and so now she's read that, and then she wants to read more. So it's it's working, you know. Spend the money on on stuff like that. And it really, really pays off. Now, you're known as a, as a godfather of real estate. How did you get that name? Why are you known as that? Well, I think it's simply because I'm the oldest living investor that these guys knew. So Robert and Russ gave me that, that name, that description. And it's interesting, as we go back over our history, I'm sure you know something about how the real estate guys got themselves aligned, how they came together. Russ was the second co-host of the show. And the original guy who did it was a guy who was also a real estate broker, and he ran a school for licensing agents. So his interest, and he was an interesting character. 
His dad was an extremely successful investor in California in the Los Altos area, and he had a rule that was a 20-minute rule. He didn't want to bother to travel further than 20 minutes from his home to find a property. Well, he's in Silicon Valley, not a hard job. And of course, he lived in a, uh, his dad was a piano player. Robert and I both played the guitar, so we used to do a little music just to add to the fun of it. But uh, his dad, his dad's rule wouldn't work for everybody. Not all of us could afford to buy in Los Altos 20 minutes from home. However, he was serious about how he wanted to do it, and it worked really well for him. And uh, his son, Charlie, who was Robert's co-host, was a character, and uh, they, they really had a fun time together. We used to do, before we started doing the Summit at Sea, uh, for about five years, the guys put together a, a cruise in the Mexican Caribbean. That is uh, all of the classic stops. And uh, that meant we, we knew how to get to Senior Frogs when we were in that town. We knew the important things. What that was about was that California agents renew their license every four years. There are 500,000 agents in California. It may be down to 400 now, but it's somewhere in that vicinity. So that means you got about 100,000 candidates every year to renew their license. We only needed about 100. We didn't have any problem getting 100 agents to come with us. So we've been cruising for a long time. But the summit at sea, of course, is a much more vital and much more interesting uh, kind of gathering and event. Yeah, so you've been around the block a little bit, Bob, right? Which is probably one reason you, you were called the godfather now. And you were a very successful real estate agent broker in the day. And I, I'm going to talk about your book here, which is, uh, which is this one here, Being the Top 1%. And yes, you have a very, very interesting message, which I'm a little surprised hasn't, uh, hasn't been addressed yet, which is really again, uh, for real estate agents who are dealing with real estate all day long. They may be dealing with real estate investors all day long, yet they fail to be investors themselves. Uh, uh, very few do. And so you wrote this book to encourage people like that. And I, I wouldn't just say real estate agents, though it's, you're writing to real estate agents. But I, I would say it's almost it's written to anyone who's, who's exposed to real estate. And this could be people who go to their local real estate meetings every single month and they sit there, uh, but they have yet to cross over the line. They actually haven't started investing yet. Now, help me understand, Bob, why is this such a problem? Like, it, you know, we have these real estate agents dealing with real estate every single day, every single week. You have real estate quote, investors who go to real estate meetings, expose to real estate every single month, every single year, and they actually haven't pulled the trigger on anything. Why is that? What they're not exposed to is anybody who can show them how to do it. I think, and, and my, my theory is simply that, that they, their managers, owners, supervisors before them typically have never had an involvement with real estate. There are no successful role models to show them how to do this game. For example, the company that Robert and I work for that I described as the 25th largest realtor in America, this was a hugely successful company with 17 offices, residential offices in Silicon Valley. And they, they just controlled that marketplace. They were super strong. However, in those 17 offices, there were maybe five or six that had one or two guys, no gals in those days, who could speak income. So there was a small group of us. And of course, there were counterparts at other real estate companies. Now, notice I haven't mentioned 
full-scale, large-scale commercial. Commercial agents who you found a way to address, attack, get aligned with, get on the list. You did that yourself. You had to create that. Those guys comprise a total of all the realtors out there. All the commercial agents together represent about 6 or 7% of the total agents. So all commercial real estate is done by a handful of people. I further submit in the book my idea that somewhere, what we're trying to do here as agents who can handle investment properties, I don't, I'm not looking for a $50 million property. I wouldn't know what to do with it if I found it. However, there's lots of five and $10 million properties that work really well, but somebody has to teach you. So the game is this, it's a secret. It's right in front of you, but there is nobody saying, oh, did you want to become, did you want to handle commercial properties? Get in this line. There is no, in fact, I could have written the substance of the book when I became a broker, it'll be 40 years next year. And nothing has changed from that day forward. So the company that Robert and I worked for, there were six owners. They were bought out by NRT, the National Real Estate Trust, who owns Century 21, Colwell Banker, Fred Sands, and many others. And the president of that company went to New Jersey to run Century 21. All the other guys went into the superstructure someplace. None of them, and they, were, they owned properties, the president especially, none of them were trying to bring their agents along with them, even on a part-time basis, and say, you should consider this. I'm not faulting him. It's just how it was. But it's exactly like that, and I never saw a change. I simply didn't have the background and, and understanding of the system in the early days, but I could have written the book 40 years ago because it's the same situation if I knew enough. I, I didn't really answer your question, but what, I, what I'm saying is it's just inobvious. What's the matter with that? Why does that not get promoted? Somehow it doesn't. I mean, I've, I've observed it for years. I mean, I, back in the house flipping days, for, for example, you know, I would use the same uh, title company and they watched me buy this house. And then, you know, six months later, I would sell the same house. And not once did they say, well, how did you do that? How did you find this deal? How did you finance this deal? Like, I, I yeah. would be curious. I'd be curious. And I've had occasional conversations with brokers. Just so I was curious, you know, why they don't get into it. And I did kind of shrug their shoulders. I don't, I can't explain it myself either. It's a little odd to me if I'm sitting inside of the, the other desk and I see this going on, why are they not, uh, I mean, I'm not saying they should stop brokering or being an agent, but why don't you put a foot into the investing world? I mean, how did, how did you do it? Now, you've been around for long, but you've done a lot of buying and selling of houses. What finally ended up pushing you into the investing side? That happened accidentally as I look at it. First of all, my brother and I began investing together. He and I both graduated from San Jose State I was an electrical engineer. He was a civil engineer. He ended up going to work for a couple of the local cities in Silicon Valley and was an engineering manager for 30 years. When he retired, they hired him back and he did it for another 10 years. Anyhow, Bill and I invested together without a plan, without a mentor, without a coach. We did find one broker who knew all the numbers, was an investor himself. But his, his plan on ours was slightly different. For example, we closed on the first single-family home that we bought with him, and he immediately had a buyer for us. That was his perfect solution. This is perfect. I sell it to you. I get a commission. 
I sell it for you. I get a commission. Let's just keep this up. Well, of course, there was no plan in there that was going to behoove us. This guy actually sold us uh, a 50-unit building, too, which was a family building that we, we kept, my brother and I kept for 25 years. And I'm sure you remember I had a story or two in there. In, in Robert and Russ's book, Equity Happens, they called that story Bob's Big Boo-Boo simply because I wasn't paying enough attention. I, my brother and I were both engineers. We both had decent jobs, different, decent salaries. We didn't need any income from the building. It was throwing off cash flow. In fact, it was hemorrhaging cash flow when we sold it. We kept it 25 years. 50 units we bought. We paid $235,000 for it in 1977. It was a chewed class C. The owner was a doctor. I don't know if he'd ever been in the building. The manager was a guy who uh, charged the owner for doing plumbing repairs, but didn't own a pipe wrench. And it was it was pretty grim. 25 years later, of course, it became a pretty decent clean building. And we sold it for 2.6 million. And that sounds like a good number. There was nothing wrong with it. We weren't hurt. But Robert Helms' calculations show that if we had merely done one or two 1031s over that 25-year period, if we had what we call optimized it, what do I mean by that? What I mean is when it sold for $2.6 million, 2.2 of that was our equity. It had a very small mortgage. So it was hemorrhaging cash flow. And we didn't need the cash flow. And it was just poor utilization. So we're dumb, we're not paying enough attention. Even though we've had it 25 years and we've learned a lot about the real estate business, Robert Helms' calculations show that it, that should have been about $40 million, not $2 million. So were we hurt? Absolutely not. But we were almost terminally stupid by not paying enough attention and not learning the lessons. When you learn those kind of lessons, you better get the lesson because you're paying for it. Now, you said you got into the investing side a little bit accidentally. Now, your message in the book is one where, hey, you guys need to wake up. You need to wake up and step over the line and get, get in started with investing yourself. Don't, don't just kind of broker deals. Get into the game yourself. So you're sitting across an agent and you're just, you know, essentially you're, you're furious, you're upset, you know, about this agent just not, you know, not taking any action. What are you telling that person? How do you get them to start actually investing themselves it's interesting one of the one of the people i'm coaching right now happens to be my nephew my nephew had uh, the bad luck of losing his home in the santa rosa fire two years ago and his mother who lived three doors down the street my sister lost her home at the same time he had been a state farm agent for a zillion years he decided he was ready to do something new and it became real estate and he decided he would like to learn something about investment real estate. Now, this was him making the decision. So he was one of the first students that I went through the book with. And it's kind of interesting because he and his son are planning to be a father-son team, exactly as Robert and I were. And uh, when you grow up in a real estate family, and I'm trying to remember whether you did. I did you, not. You pretty much found this on your own. You. That's right. You were a successful, for a while, pizza guy. 
Yeah, I, I, I was never surrounded by any kind of entrepreneur at all. My dad was IBM for 30 plus years. So I, I didn't discover <laughs> I was an entrepreneur until my, my early 30s. You obviously were in a little bit of a different uh, environment, but you're talking about your, your nephew. Well, I say I started by accident. There's two pieces of it that are both accidental mm. with respect to being a somebody who is on a course to be a world beater real estate investor. I was none of the above. When I was a junior in college, took a weekend, went up in the mountains of Boulder Creek, hocked my wife's car, and we bought a cabin up there that I wish one of the early lessons is, why did you sell it ever? Paid $5,000 for it. It had a two-bedroom cabin and a one-bedroom cabin on a third of an acre. Uh, I don't know anything about it except what it costs, 1500 down. Seller carries the rest at what interest rate? Who knows? Who cares? Payment, 50 bucks a month, like buying a car. Can you afford the 50 bucks a month? Yeah, I could afford half of that. So we spent every, every waking minute as engineering students up at this cabin every, every weekend, drinking wine coolers and reading books. Big fun. No plan. No plan to be an investor, didn't even really know what that meant. Eventually, that became a, a rental piece once you start to get into the game. But the way I became an investor is I was approached by a neighbor, and um, she was a real estate broker. Her husband, I'm sorry, she was a real estate agent. That's a subtlety, but it's important in her case. Her husband was an engineer, worked for Sylvania. Anyhow, she got the idea that she wanted to open a real estate store that specialized in focusing on investors. What a concept. I thought they all did. So she knew that I was an investor. We had talked several times. And uh, I wasn't excited about giving up a very good job that I had to see if I could make a living selling real estate. But it turned out that my job was like a three-day-a-week electronics job, building custom parts, for Lockheed, and that was all my company wanted on its plate. My ra rationale, my reasoning was, then that gives me four days a week that I could be learning to sell real estate. So I got our broker's license, started off with some old salts who were all investors. These agents were exactly the kind of guys I wanted to find. And uh, the reason I mentioned Doris was this, this gal's name who started this business. She didn't have a broker's license, so she hired another guy. And this old salt and his wife are both investor. They're individual investors, and they're working with investors. So I'm sure I'm going to learn a lot of stuff. And as I tell you in the book, I do. I learned I could have lost my broker's license because I didn't know what the protocols were. And I, uh, I got in my own, in my boss's way with a transaction. We solved it. It closed to everybody's satisfaction. But I, I had learned enough by this time, once I decided to do it, that it was clear I needed to specialize in the people that were the buyers who came to buy this. So the first thing I ever sold as an agent was a six-unit building. And it was a decent building. It was, a, from my investor's viewpoint, it was well-priced. It looked like it made sense. And it was, my clients were four guys, four engineers from Silicon Valley who call themselves Big Four, the investors. These guys just planned to do this again and again. And I decided that I wanted to be their guy. I wanted to be their car company. I wanted to do it again and again with them. 
So I started to get a little excited about it. But it it was a it was a long term career, and about seven years after I started as a one man band, Robert graduated from college, and uh, came and joined me, and we became a father son team for eighteen years, and it was it was an awesome awesome experience. Robert, you know Robert well. He's quite gifted. He's he's bright enough. He understands the numbers. He understands communicating with people. And he and I gave each other, we had a a very successful career together. We gave each other lots of space to operate. And we both made significant contributions. And we had a lot of success. So that made made it fun. Yeah, that's right. You guys have certainly done a lot of, it's amazing that you guys can work together for that long, uh, that period of time and be successful as, as well. Well, we've, we've, we've had a great time together. We respect each other. And, uh, Robert has certainly, many years ago, become the preeminent realtor in our family. He's just no longer an agent because, of course, he's focusing on development. Yeah, that's right. So, so, Bob, why did you write this book? And I, I know I remember talking to you. It's something that you said you should have written a long time ago. But what is, what's on your heart? Why is this book so important to you? And what, do you want, what message do you want to get out? Well, what's, what's so phenomenal, if you were to sit down with any agent and talk to them about whether they were interested they wouldn't know what questions to ask you. They're just helplessly separated from this opportunity. And it's a phenomenal opportunity. Let's go back a step. The average agent in America today makes thirty-five dollars to $40,000 a year. That means they're making so little they can't afford to stay in the business long enough to learn it realistically. Of course, there are a lot of great agents. There are a lot of hot shots. The reason I named the book Be in the Top 1%, the top 1% of agents in America earn six-figure incomes or more. So that's a pretty interesting place to strike. And that's about three times what that average agent who isn't either a top 1%er or an investment property. And by the way, if you're an investment property specialist, then that's the term that I use for the kind of person that we're trying to create. We're trying to trying to teach them to understand how investors think, to be able to handle and understand the numbers and to understand the language. It was interesting to me when I when I started putting together the coaching plan for the book, we actually look at the glossary of terms because what are we trying to teach them? The vocabulary. And most agents don't know much about the investment part of the vocabulary. They don't know much because they've had no experience with it. So I actually debated about this book for a while. Every year at goals, at Robert's Gold Seminar, I talked about doing it, gave it lip service, did nothing. Finally said, you know, old timer, if you're ever going to write this book, you better get it done. So uh, I was very excited to put it together. And, you know, it's, uh, it's had pretty good acceptance but it hasn't been pushed very hard. And that's because I haven't done a good job of promoting it. So I'm, I'm glad for the opportunity today to tell some folks that, hey, there is a real bona fide, pretty easy opportunity to tremendously improve your situation. And you don't have to change what you're doing. If you're an agent, a beginner or experienced who is selling homes, knows how to do that or is learning how to do that, you don't have to give that business up. You simply add this as a separate business segment. 
mostly the same kind of things. You just have to learn the language. You have to learn. It's, it's interesting. One of the things that people who are beginning, beginning promoters, trying to promote investments do. By the way, you did a classic job in your book of telling people how to work with, I don't remember what you called it, but it was the sample the one that wasn't the real one yet, the one that, what, what was the terminology package. that you used? It was sample deal package, right? Very clever, very simple, and very workable. There's a parallel in terms of people that are trying to teach you or to recognize and select their opportunity. That, that could be syndication or anything else. One of the jobs you have to do, and you did a pretty good job of it, is look at wait a minute, those investors are investing in something right now. It's not like you were their first dance. They've got their money someplace, and you need to understand what their, what their interest background is. You can't expect to come and to convince them to do what you do unless it's superior to what they're doing over a long-term basis. So anyhow, it's, it's one of the things that I think most people that are trying to get excited are trying to convince investors to join them with don't do a good enough job of is figuring out what's the investor doing right now? What do you have that compares to it? How does it compare to it? How is it superior? If it's not superior, they'll stay where they are. If it is superior, you have a chance of getting their attention. Yeah, I, th I think there's a couple couple things that you spend a lot of time talking about. Like you talk a lot about using the right language. Uh, I think there's and there's several key takeaways for for me is learning the language of investing. And if you're especially if you're an agent, it allows you to uh, obviously represent investors better on the one hand, but on the other hand, it kind of gets you in the game yourself. I think one of the one of the key things is is have is using the right language when you're when you're going to be an investor. I think that's one thing. And the other thing is while you certainly advocate and you talk about multifamily and commercial real estate, you say, look, it doesn't really matter what you do just as long as you do something, right? If you buy a rental house, just just do something. What is your key takeaway? That what do you want someone to remember uh, from reading this book? What I'd really like them to get is the fact that the opportunity is sitting right there, right in front of them. It's not, it's not a big jump to be able to do it. It's much easier than you think it is. But like anything that's new, you need to be educated. And you do a great job in your book of pointing out education is the secret that will make you, that will make you successful in each of these things. If you have to learn by banging your nose, you're going to have a bad-looking sore nose all your life. And you may or may not get the education you were looking for. So this is so remarkably easy to have access to. What isn't remarkably easy is have finding coaches because there aren't many that are doing it. There are some that are successful that are serving investors, but they're not coaching or interested in coaching. And that's the last thing that slows them down, gets them off the path. You and I both have a, a willingness and interest and ability, thank goodness, uh, to teach people. And for you, that's a passion. For me, that's a passion. So the thing I'd like them to come away from this with is this is ultimately easily doable. You simply have to read enough about it to decide that that's the path I want to take. And the rules, most everything you need to know is in the book. Almost everything you need to understand to become educated enough to be able to converse and understand the language. 
Your point was a good one. I love the fact that in your book, you had stories about how you failed and especially how you failed in communication when you were a rookie, because there's, there's no divine guidance. There's nobody just telling you how to do it. Today, you've told them how to do it. So congratulations, because that's what they need to know. Yeah, you have a great message in the book. Again, it's it's called "Being the Top One Percent." It's on it's on Amazon right here. So, especially if you're an agent, even if you're not an agent, it really you do a great job of outlining the language and the mechanics of investing and terms and financial concepts, and uh, it really just kind of lays it out like from from start to finish. So, really great job. If you're definitely an agent, pick up this book. As it, I mean, I, I'm with you. I just can't believe that people just go through being an agent year after year and don't actually start investing themselves. The opportunity is right in front of them. Same for people who are constantly going to real estate investing meetings and who actually actually haven't done it themselves. This is a great a great book, guys. So pick it up. It's on Amazon. Hey, Bob, where can people find or connect with you? Connect with me. I'm I'm willing to share my email address. It's an easy one. I have a website that's being worked on, and uh, I'm not sure how the very easiest way to do it is. But they can catch me via the real estate guys. I'm not an I'm not an actual real estate guy. I'm an honorary real estate guy. I've been hanging around here for a long, long time, and and occasionally they'll say, "Hey, Bob, it's time you did a show," but I don't do a lot of them any these days. What what I'm really focusing on is trying to offer and and be available to to teach and coach. I've had good success teaching investors directly and some with agents, but only for a short period of time. If you got the opportunity to work with agents, you work with a handful of agents, those guys pretty much have the skills you need. So I think I have the I think I have the patience to teach agents how to make this work. I had an agent client last year who was very successful selling houses and just decided it was time he wanted to learn how to invest. So they had been listening to the real estate guys, trailed us to the New Orleans Investment Conference. We set up a, a plan. And last year, I looked over their shoulder while they bought their first two properties. That was quite fun. And I was able, of course, like you would be, to tell them all the pieces. How about this? How about that? What questions to ask? Able to guide them through it. They now are starting multifamily. That's so fantastic. they- you know, that they, they felt they had enough under their belt. And of course, one of the things, that, one of the reasons buying smaller properties and starting that way, it slows you down a little bit. At the same time, you learn some things you don't learn any other way. You learn, I'm not going to live long enough to want to manage my own properties. Probably, not necessarily. There are times when you can do it. You and I both have. Actually, my wife did most of mine. And she had the skills to do that. But, uh, you know, it's, it's so doable. It's, it's so easy to become an agent who can help investors. It's this simple. If you are an agent who sells houses and you're one of the best and your clients love you and they would never use anyone but you, you're going to hear from them once every five to seven years when they're ready to move. If you're going to make a living, you need a lot of them. Nothing wrong with having a lot of agents. If, on the other hand, you're servicing investors, investors don't buy a property once every five to seven years. They buy multiple properties generally every year. And how well they do with that becomes your job. 
So here's the important thing you have to do as an agent who is going to handle investors, who's going to serve investors. You must learn what the investor wants. What is their plan? Where are they going? By the way, you may have to help them flesh that out and figure out what the trade-offs are. But if you if they are, they're clear about what they want to do and they know what their investment plan looks like, what kind of a property portfolio they want to put together, what kind of income are they looking for, how long is it going to last? How long does it take to build? All the questions you ask for your, your multifamily people. If, if you, as the agent, understand what the, that client wants, then I'm not waiting till they call me every three months. I'm proactively looking at properties. And when something comes up that looks like one of theirs, I call them. I contact them. That does two things. One, it says, I'm paying attention. I'm interested in you. I know what you're looking for. And it's not hard. It's pretty simple stuff. Robert and I had a cadre of investors when we worked together, and we were putting together deals between those guys. This guy had a, a duplex, a fourplex, a sixplex, a eightplex, a twentyplex, a whatever, and they're always there to do deals quietly. So the point is, you have to be active. You have to pay attention. But that's your job, and you can do that uniquely and well. So anyhow, I, th I think it's not being afraid to do it because it's doable. You don't need superb high intelligence. You need good work ethic and good skills. And, and again, we pretty much lay out what do you need to do? What do you need to do to serve that client well? Because that's the name of this game. It is about service. It is about not being average and ordinary. It's about delivering superb value. If you do that, you will never have to worry about where your next sale is coming from. And you deliver superb value in the book and, and you're always, you know, you're always blessing people when I'm with you, Bob, and I really appreciate it about you. And uh, I want to thank you so much uh, for coming on the show today. Well, thanks so much for having me. Let's hope a few people get excited about this. You can look for me. I have a website that's being worked on, so I hate to send anybody to it, but it should be done shortly. It's realestategodfather.com. So there's some information there. It looks like I have a bunch of properties for sale on the website today. I don't have properties for sale, but what I do have is a lot of coaching programs and a lot of, a lot of ways to get from where you are to where you want to be. Anyhow, thanks so much, Michael. I enjoyed the, uh, the interview. I enjoyed the chat with you. I look forward to seeing you soon. One of the quotes that stuck with me in talking to Bob was, don't be afraid. This is totally doable. The opportunity is right there in front of you. Why don't you take advantage of it? And I think the answer to that question is a lot of times, well, I think there's two levels to that. One is awareness. Sometimes we're not aware of the opportunity, but I think a lot of us are. Um, we see something, we're like, we know, we know it's there. And I don't think the issue so much is that we don't know what to do. We just don't have the courage to do it. And bridging that gap, and that's what Bob's trying to do with his with his book, especially if you're a real, a real estate agent because he's talking the realtor's language. But it's really anyone who is constantly exposed to real estate, as many of us are, and we're just not taking any action. And why is that? I think it really comes down to mindset, specifically down to belief. Um, I'm going to have the privilege to interview Hal Elrod here just in a, in a week or two on the podcast. And Hal Elrod is the author of 
the Miracle Morning, which made a big impact with me. And, and Hal is actually keynoting at Dealmaker Live in Dallas, July 26, 27 at our event. Uh, and you can get tickets still at the michaelblank.com forward slash event. But his book made a big difference, and he's got a new book out. Just came out recently called The Miracle Equation. I'm not quite through yet, but he basically says one of the key decisions that you have to make is one of unwavering faith, of belief. You know, and, and that belief, it can come, I guess he says, it doesn't really matter where or where you think it comes from. It could be a belief in, uh, from God. Uh, it could be from, if you won't call that, from a higher power, from, I guess, within yourself. The phenomenon is really really the same, uh, however you attribute it to, but it's this unwavering faith that that really gets you, that, that is a requirement. And you have to decide that's something that I believe in. Now, how do you get that belief? And I have observed repeatedly that one way that someone can uh, get a belief is if someone tells them and affirms them that, hey, man, you can do this. It's happened to me in a couple of occasions where someone challenged me to do something. I was like, oh, that's too hard. I'm too young. I'm too this. And someone says, no, I've done it many times. It's easy. Yeah, let me just show you. And so they affirm you and say, hey, this is something you can really do. And then they, they kind of outline, they wave their hands a little bit. And say, let, me, let me just show you the steps. You know, it's like the details. Like, if, for example, in my book, The Financial Freedom with uh, Real Estate Investing, I kind of go through the mechanics of, of closing a multifamily deal. I talk about how do you overcome a lack of experience? How do I overcome the uh, uh, raising money or not having any money? How do I do that? And I find that when people read that, they go into it not believing that this is something they can do. And they come out going, huh. I think I might be able to do that. They get this glimmer of hope and this belief. And you really need that if you want to be successful and take any kind of action. Because if I don't believe I can do something, accomplish something, why Why should I do anything? Like, it's a waste. It's a waste of, of, of emotion and, and of energy. But if I believe I can achieve something, well, now I can take action around that. And that's very, very powerful. So I think, I, I think the first step is really trying to get that belief that you can do something. Now, the details may still be you know, out there. And, you know, you may have to attend a seminar or or a course or, or hire a mentor to figure out the details. But the biggest thing is kind of visualizing that. And that's that's really, really important. So if you're out there and you're a bit on the fence, you know, find a good book or, or sit someone down and have them describe the steps, the mechanics of doing whatever that you want to do and have them affirm you. Say, hey, look, you can do this. So many other people have done this. You can do this as well. And you're like, huh. Maybe I can do this. And that's super, super cool. And this is, uh, I, I keep bringing up our DealMaker Live event, but it's one of those seminal events of the year where you are going to guaranteed meet at least one person that's going to propel your investing your life to a completely new level that you did not think is possible. So I, I definitely encourage you to go to that event. Uh, and that's in the michaelblank.com forward slash event. So anyway, it's, it's all about mindset. It's about belief and taking those first steps. So anyway, I hope you guys found that helpful today. We'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.